0: It was the moment I was dreading. I got roused out of bed at 6 a.m. My brother was calling to tell me that our 91-year-old father had fallen again. He was lying on the bathroom floor and couldn't get up. We called 911 and had him taken to emergency. In the emergency room, c 2 a few days later, when he was about to be transferred to a rehab center, medical staffers descended on me all at once.
1: There are several parts to this form. You either want attempt at CPR. And How aggressive would you want to be?
0: This doctor was asking me to make some quick decisions. Should he get CPR if his heart stops? Should he get electroshock treatment? Should he be put on a ventilator if he stops breathing? These were life and death decisions. And I had no idea how to answer these questions. I'd never talked to my father about any of this. I felt overwhelmed. What should I do? What would he want? There is no time to press pause and say, what matters to you? What do you want? Dr VJ Periacoil is director of palliative care education and training at Stanford University School of Medicine their family members or proxy decision makers have never had this discussion with the patient because no one guided them to and so as a result they're sort of making these very high stake decisions in the dark so then the system default is to do everything possible every treatment possible even though the treatment might be ineffective and the treatment may be something that the patient does not want. For all I know, maybe my father wouldn't want every possible treatment. Maybe heroic measures like CPR and electroshock would be too hard on his frail body. What his physician and I should have done was sat down with him long ago and have an end-of-life conversation. It's called advanced care planning.
1: I want to ask you, you know, what's- what makes your life meaningful, and what kinds of decisions should I make on your behalf if you weren't able to speak for yourself?
0: Well, I think one of the things that you want to do is that I'm, I'm a realist, I, and if it comes to a point where I have some kind of a terminal condition, uh, whether it's uh, a... Yeah, what does terminal mean? Dr. Jennifer Brokaw is an emergency care physician and patient advocate in San Francisco. In 2012, she conducted an advanced care planning session on stage at a TEDx talk with her father, former NBC anchor Tom Brokaw.
1: What does quality of life mean to you? What What are the specific tasks that... I,
0: I want to be conscious, and uh, given who I am, I want to be able to talk and communicate with the people that I care about. Okay. And, and, and that's important, and I... Also, I I think a lot about uh, severe spinal cord injuries. If I'm confined in some way at a certain stage in my life, I don't want heroic efforts. Advanced care planning gives patients the opportunity to share their concerns and goals with care providers and family members. Patients can set limits on the types of care and treatment they want. At the urging of his daughter, Tom Brokaw went through the process. You know, when you get into your 70s, death Death
1: starts to creep in on you, if not for yourself, you know, just other people that you know. And I, I know my dad's joked about reading the obituaries and just looking at, you know, how old they were when they died. And you know, a lot of people are his age or younger
0: now, and he, you know, he, that doesn't go unnoticed by him. Two years after their on-stage conversation, the unexpected happened. Tom Brokaw was diagnosed with multiple myeloma a form of bone cancer that attacks the spine. It was definitely shock. It was shock, it was disbelief, there was a little why me. But after the initial shock wore off, Brokaw worked with his doctors on a treatment plan to manage the disease. He opted against a stem cell transplant operation because of his age and the risks involved. His daughter Jennifer says that advanced care planning gave him important guidance the critical decisions he needed to make. It prepared him in a way that he probably couldn't even articulate for when
1: the doctor said, you know, Tom, you have a malignancy, you know, and it's not curable. Having gone through that thought process when he was well and had no no scary thing on the horizon, was probably a psychological buffer or you know a set of tools that he had created in his brain without even knowing it and he was able to think about
0: this this cancer in a less scary and more organized way. A recent study shows that having end-of-life conversations with patients can reduce their stress and anxieties. Tom Brokaw was fortunate to have a doctor in his family, his daughter, who advocated for him. Most of us aren't as lucky. The vast majority of Americans don't have conversations about end of life care with their doctors. To encourage advanced care planning, Medicare recently announced it will reimburse physicians for conducting end of life conversations. Palliative care specialist Brooke Calton is teaching this course on advanced care planning and improving communication skills.
1: And I want you to think about a serious illness conversation you witnessed in the past and think about um, what communication skills or techniques worked really well and then if there was anything that could have gone better.
0: In Dr. Carlton's class at UC San Francisco's medical school, students are learning how to carry on conversations by using role play. Uh, I'm a, a student doctor. I'll be talking with you today. It's Hi. nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. What, uh, is there a Max Pochabit is a medical student in Dr. Calton's class. He's doing a role play with an actor playing the part of Sandra, a daughter whose mother is very ill. Sandra's mother has just been admitted to the hospital with a serious infection. But, you know, I'm just, I'm so worried about her. Um, she just seems so sick.
1: Yeah. Is there, uh, so if, if time were shorter than we were hoping,
0: uh, What do you mean, if time were shorter? Carrying on end-of-life conversations can be difficult and awkward at first. It takes skill and patience to find the right language. You feel tongue-tied going and telling a patient because you don't know whether they will start crying. Again, Stanford Palliative Care Director V.J. Periacoil You don't know whether you can control your emotions, so it's incredibly important to role play this. Ideally, family members should have end-of-life discussions with each other, well in advance of a medical crisis. What would it be like if, say, dad were really sick, so sick that he actually couldn't tell us, he couldn't talk with us about what mattered to him, what kind of medical care he wanted. Radio host Dawn Gross conducted this end-of-life conversation with her two teenage children, live on the air during her KALW call-in show, Dying to Talk. He would want his family with him when he was dying. When he was dying or, or in the, hospital, or in or the hospital, very sick, that the first thing to do is to gather family. In her role as palliative care specialist at UCSF, Dr. Gross has led many end-of-life conversations with patients of all ages. She wants to make sure her children know and understand their parents' final wishes, without all the guessing and uncertainty. This is so not about how do you want to die, because we really have no control over that. It's how do you want to live until you die. And the only way to know that is to talk about it. Okay. This is it. Today's the day you're going home. Okay. Okay. My father was more than ready to go home after nearly a month in rehab. My father now has dementia, and it's probably too late to have that end-of-life conversation with him. Complex questions are now beyond his comprehension. Like many family members who waited too late... I'll have to make my best guess at what his wishes would be when we cross that bridge. For CrossCurrents, I'm Joanne Marr.